Are you looking for alternative investments and tangible assets that help you build and protect your wealth while empowering your financial future? Look no further than Eckerd Enterprises. With over 37 years of experience in the industry, Eckerd Enterprises is your trusted partner in the world of alternative investments and asset management. They have a track record of success with more than 1,300 investors who are on board and over 700 million in capital invested in tangible assets. Their specialty lies in offering immediate cash flow opportunities through mineral rights investments so that you don't have to wait decades to see your investments pay off. Their unique AML approach, born from decades of experience, focuses on aggregating, maturing, and liquidating assets strategically to maximize return. Join Eckerd Enterprises. Visit EckerdEnterprises.com today to begin your journey toward building and protecting your financial future. What's up, guys? So we're going to be getting into a uh, big topic today. It's kind of a big topic. A lot of you have probably heard about permanent life insurance. It's big in that it's there's a lot to it. It's complicated. There's a lot of different strong opinions on it. And so we'll try to hit the high points and keep it fairly, you know, kind of entry level and talk about some of the basics of how it works. Make sure you kind of hit on some of the conflicts of interest and, uh, Ideally, give you some things to think about as you navigate the world of personal finance. There's a lot of people that tend to push permanent life insurance. I'll talk about that as well. Hopefully give you kind of some of those tools to better navigate. So before I jump into that, I mentioned this last episode, two things, if you could help me with number one, let us know what format you like the best. We've been just early on in this kind of trying different formats we've done, you know, interview podcasts with kind of the experts. We could also do interviews with physicians and talk about real world stories. We've done solo podcasts like this one, where I talk about some basic personal finance content. We're also going to try out some Q and a sort of posts where we take some of the questions you guys have been asking and cover those specifically. So let us know if you have feedback on which one of those formats you'd like the best for now, we're just going to continue kind of trying out the different formats and see what seems to go over best for you guys. Cause that's, I would say that's most important. I enjoy talking about all this sort of stuff, but I want to make sure it's relevant for you. Second thing I was going to ask is if you can throw out specific questions you have, that would be much appreciated. So we'll make, we'll put a link to the, to the webpage in the show notes, but if you can go to financeforphysicians.co slash contact, like I said, it'll be linked in the show notes, but if you go to that page, there is a button on the left side, right under contact us. It says start recording and you can record a question you have. Feel free to throw out a little tidbit about you, throw out a question you have on personal finance, and we'll cover that in a future show. And so that would be great if you could do that as well. So look forward to covering those. So yeah, permanent life insurance, we're going to be covering today. We'll hit on the high points, talk a little bit about what to look for and how to navigate that. Okay. So permanent life insurance, we talked last episode about how to make sure you have the adequate amount of coverage. We talked about the high level, how term works, and we hit on just kind of the high points of how it compares to permanent life insurance. But today we're going to drill a little bit more into permanent life insurance itself and talk about why this might make sense or what, why you might want to avoid it. So permanent life insurance. So what are the high points? So coverage 
it's designed to be, you know, permanent. Like that's as a result of, uh, you know, just the structuring of it is it's a term. It's basically a combination or a combining of term and investing. So you have the term coverage that's just covering you in the event of unexpected death for the period of time. It's pure insurance. But with permanent, they introduce this an investment component. So you're putting more dollars in than it would normally cost. But that investment component built ideally to a point where it's kind of like self-insuring or self-sustaining so that it becomes something that's permanent. So it's typically considerable. It's going to be considerably more dollars required to make that work just because of the result or the nature of how it's structured. There's tax benefits associated with it. Typically, you can take loans on it and take the basis out of the cash value anytime. So there's two components. There's the cash value component. That's how much it would be worth if you decided to cash it all out or take money out. And then there's the death benefit component. So that's the amount it's worth if you were to pass away. So the cash value component, you can typically take loans out against that. And then the basis. So that's the amount of money you put into it. You can typically just outright take out the amount you put in without any tax consequences, mainly because you've already paid tax on that money anyway. So there are some tax benefits associated with with it. There's also tax-free death benefits. That's with either permanent or term. So it's tax-free death benefits. So the gist of it is permanent is kind of like combination of term and investing so that it's designed to be a lifelong benefit, higher cost, and it comes with some tax benefits. So it, I mean, on the, on the high level, it sounds kind of appealing. You know, there, if, especially if you want to have coverage for forever, I mean, it's like, well, you know, that makes sense. I'd rather buy than buy a home instead of renting a home. Like I want to own it forever. So that the concept makes sense, but there's, I mentioned in the last episode, there's definitely a lot more to the story and it's extremely complicated. So we're going to talk a little bit more about, you know, the other side of the story and try to give you kind of some of those main points to start to understand. I think the best way to look at this is how does it compare? How does buying permanent life insurance compare to buying term life insurance and investing or putting your money elsewhere? So option one is you buy permanent life insurance. Option two is you buy term life insurance and you do something else with the difference, like invest the money. So that's Dave Ramsey always has talked about buy term and invest the difference. So buy term investor difference. We'll talk about that versus buying permanent. I think that's a good way to look at it because if you can buy term and invest the difference, and if the investment grows so that it's ultimately more valuable than the permanent life insurance, then that scenario makes no sense to buy the permanent. But like I said, it gets a little complicated. So let's start out with kind of a straightforward example. So let's say, let's say you have $10,000 and you could hypothetically, let's just say you can buy the term coverage that you need for a thousand dollars. And then that leaves $9,000 to invest. Or maybe you could buy permanent life insurance for $10,000. So how do those two scenarios compare? So that's the frame of thought. I think you need to be looking at if you're considering permanent versus term is how do those two scenarios compare? So I think the first big point to keep in mind with permanent life insurance is you have to keep it for a really, really long time for it to do even like modestly. Okay. 
And sometimes it's still even terrible, but it takes a really, really long time for it to end up doing better than the whole buy term and invest. It just takes a long time to do its thing. So you're probably thinking, why does it take so long? The main reason is the upfront costs. So the insurance agent, that's the, the bulk of the cost is the commissions to sell it. Uh, and so the insurance agent commissions are typically 50 to hundred percent of the annual cost. So going back to that scenario, let's say you have $10,000. If the commissions on it are hundred percent, they're paying the agent $10,000 to sell it. So like there's no money left over to have a cash value, like insurance company's not gonna. So if you look at an illustration, if you've ever looked at these illustrations for permanent life insurance, you'll always see how in the first year, especially it's like you put in a whole bunch of money and there's not really any cash value. Sometimes they'll show you having cash value, but there's a surrender charge. So in reality, you still don't have any cash value because you can't get to it if you get rid of it. So if you look at these illustrations in the first year, it's typically like zero cash value or some low number, basically because they had to use all your money in the first year to pay the agent to sell it. So that is a, it's fortunately, it's not like that every year, then it'd just be, a, you know, never a good vehicle, but there's a huge upfront commission hurdle that, that you have to jump and that makes the cost extremely, you know, that's a, that makes the return just terrible at first. And that's, so that's the number one reason why it takes a long time to do well is because you have to kind of recoup all that upfront costs. I remember as an agent trying to sell these products early on, especially early on. It was, I was just uncomfortable talking about, especially the early years when I would show Northwestern Mutual and most of the big insurance companies, you know, they teach the agents how to go through the illustrations and explain how they work. I was always uncomfortable, especially going through the early years because it just looked terrible. It's like, and then it just begs the question, like, why is it so terrible up front? And the real answer is because I get paid so much money to sell it. And that's just, I mean, Nobody really, it's just not an enjoyable thing to say. And that got, that got even worse when I was, you know, the air quote advisor. So most of it was going to ultimately me and the company and kind of the sales cost of distributing the product. The other big thing, this is important to know, especially if you're serious about getting this, a lot of these products, you can play with how those costs work as an agent. So you can restructure the policy to where there's lower costs or higher costs, which is not a great thing. That's a bad, that's a big time conflict of interest. But knowing that as a consumer, if you're serious about this kind of product, you need to make sure that you're getting it designed to be as lean as possible. In other words, as low a commission as possible. And so that just keep that in mind is when you're getting it on the front end, if you are serious about getting it, we'll talk about why you might want to get it versus not get it more. But if you are going to, go down that path. You want to make sure it's like lean and mean and, and as little of commissions as possible. And typically the way to do that is to verify from an independent source, because the problem with that is the agent selling it, the leaner they make it, the less they get paid and it's substantially less. So there's an incentive to not make it lean. So a couple examples on like time frame. going back to the 
$10,000, let's say you have $10,000 to do something with, you know, you need term life insurance, but you're thinking about term versus permanent. So let's talk about that short term time frame because I think this is most straightforward. So let's say you have one, we're looking at this from a one year time frame. So you, over the course of one year, scenario one, you buy the permanent life insurance, $10,000. Scenario two, you buy the term 1,000 and invest the $9,000. So in this scenario, this is pretty much a certainty, like the permanent life insurance is going to look terrible. I think like best case scenario, it's got like a 50% loss. So it's, and this is best case. It's probably after a year, it's probably worth So you put in 10, it's probably worth between zero and $5,000. So best case, 50% loss minimum. So compared to the investment, I mean, you know, it depends on where you invest it, but if you put it in a savings account, it's worth. $10,001. I don't know. At least it's got its value. But even if you invested in like a very aggressive, like solid, you know, lead diversified investment that has good earning potential. And let's just say the timing's bad and it's a terrible market, like 2008 repeats itself. Even in that scenario, you're probably going to lose like 40%, maybe 50% at most. Um, and that's like the worst year in the past 20 years I can think of. And in the other years look really good on average. So it's basically you, it would, you would have to have the worst case possible year in the investment alternative for it to break even with the permanent life insurance. And in that, and that's like kind of the best case scenario for the, in, uh, the permanent life insurance, because if it's like a hundred percent loss, if it's one that has a hundred percent commissions, it's still going to look way worse than the investment. So over a year time frame, permanent life insurance is about the worst investment you could possibly come up with. It's terrible. You would never want to do it for a year. And anybody that told you you should do it for a year is just lost their mind. So that's going back to the biggest hurdle is it takes a really long time to kind of do its thing. So let's switch to a five-year time frame. So five years, typically how do these look? So investing 10,000 versus buying term a thousand and investing the $9,000. Typically over that time frame, you know, that big hump you had to get over the permanent life insurance still looks pretty stinking lousy. Like a lot of times it's, especially if you had like the hundred percent commission type of setup, like a very inefficient or a high commission product, uh, it still might be like 50% worth 50% less than what you put in. And so that's a pretty lousy investment. So it's almost always the worst possible investment still over five year time frame. It's, uh, it's extremely rare. I don't think I've ever seen it where it's worth it's broken, even where it's worth what you put in. It's pretty much a big loser after five years, almost always. So not, but it's not quite as terrible as a one year time frame, but it's still, you know, very terrible. 10 years is about the time frame where it starts to the typical, like, and this is probably like a well-designed one, like a lower commission product. So typically a 10 years is about the time frame where that scenario where you buy permanent and have it for, you know, you've put in the 10,000 per year for 10 years. So you put in a hundred thousand dollars and maybe it's worth around a hundred thousand dollars. So that's when you typically see them in the break even range around that 10 year, 10 year timeframe. And that's for a well-designed one. Now, if it's a poorly designed one, it takes a lot longer even than that. So let's compare that with an investment, like over a 10 year timeframe, break even is extremely is it extremely rare? It's possible that your investment could break even over a 10 year period, but it's, it would be difficult to find a 10 year time frame, even on the most risky investments that have 
that have a 10 year time frame that is a, a break even. Now you could just do, you could gamble with your money and lose money over 10 years. But if you're wise with your investments over a 10 year time frame, you should not expect break even for an investment that is wisely diversified and is efficiently invested. It's just, it's not a very, it's a very unlikely scenario, but it's not as bad as the one year in time, your time frame. We're starting to kind of get in the realm of like, it's even worth comparing, but it's like nine and a half times out of 10, the investment scenario is going to look much better because it's going to have some return. So buying term and investing the difference is going to have typically look much better over that 10 year time frame than just buying permanent. So if we fast forward to like a 30 year time frame, that's where a permanent life insurance kind of is hitting its stride and starting to show returns like actual positive returns. And they're kind of in line with they're like decent, I guess. But the problem is that there's still pretty substantial underlying like ongoing costs that are typically higher than like a low cost investment alternative. And you still had that upfront big hurdle you had to jump. And so 30 years is, can be, it's, can be long enough time frame to start to shift the benefits towards having permanent life insurance. But I would say it's a rare case for most people. It depends on what the investment alternative is, and it depends on circumstances. This gets, starts to get in the time frame where I don't know, like probably 95% of situations you should still buy term and invest the difference, but there's, I can come up with like 5% scenarios where permanent life insurance starts to make more sense because of the long time horizon and the situation. And I'll kind of hit on those in a minute. I think the key though, is it takes us really, really, really long time to break even. And it's like predictable, you know, it's going to take a long time. It's extremely lousy. It's an extremely lousy investment on the front end. So what happens is a lot of times people don't realize how terrible it is in that shorter time frame. Once they realize how terrible it is, they get rid of it at about the worst possible time and they have a huge loss. So ideally you go in the front end, you kind of hit that, uh, you kind of go in with eyes wide open, knowing what that, that focal point is that this is a huge hurdle. You have to jump. It's going to take a really, really long time for it to perform. And you need to be able to have that time. Like you need to be able to not need the money and you need to be able to let it do its thing for a really, really long time and not touch it and keep funding it every year and every year. Even then though, it still might not be the best thing for your situation. So, and then the reason, the main reason that's occurring is those costs. So going back to the costs, if we, if there were products that we could get rid of those costs or, you know, at minimum, get rid of the agent commissions, this thing would look a whole lot better for a whole lot more people, but we haven't quite gotten there yet within the, I'm hopeful that's going to happen. I'm confident they're going to start to exist policies that will exist that are no commission policies. There were, there actually was one that existed for a little while. TIA Cref had one, but it, they pulled it out. They stopped distributing it. I think the issue has been that nobody was selling it. There's been no incentive to sell it. So this is a complex vehicle and it takes, they have to pay somebody or somebody has to have the incentive to sell it. So our industry financial services has been, you know, like I mentioned, they've had conflicts of interest and been, uh, 
prone to embracing the conflicts and doing things like selling life insurance while also providing advice. And so there is a problem when you're not going to want to sell a no commission product ever. So the problem has been most advisors get paid to sell life insurance. So they're not going to ever want to sell no commission life insurance. But what's happened within the industry is there's a trend towards, um, advisors that don't sell products. And so they're going to be more apt to want to sell this. So the reason I say all that is because I think in the near term, there will start to be products that exist that will have much, much lower commissions or even no commissions. And so if you can find, if, if you can find a true no commission permanent life insurance, it'll make it a whole lot more appealing for more of you and be a much better case. But until then it's very difficult to make this, you know, a wise in investment relative to what's out there. So I think where it's an obvious, just terrible, lousy investment, um, even if you keep it a long time is when you have, so a couple of scenarios. So let's say you have credit card debt, like an existing balance. It's always going to be better to pay off the credit card debt and get term life insurance. Like that's a very wise investment to avoid 25% interest rates or future 25% interest rates. So that's a no brainer. Uh, let's say you have no emergency reserves. That's not as much about return on investment, but that's about like risk in your life. Like you need to have some reserves to be able to like sustain unexpected, or maybe you're not maxing out some of the easy tax shelters that exist like Roth IRA or HSA, 401k, 403b, those sorts of things. Those have built-in tax shelters already. And you can, if you can, let's say you can buy term and invest in a Roth IRA because the Roth IRA has those built-in tax shelters already, it's going to perform much more efficiently. And the appeal of the permanent life insurance tax benefits are much lesser because you already will see some of those tax benefits built into the alternative vehicle, or maybe you're not saving enough for education and you can use like a 529 that has built-in tax shelters as well. So I think in those cases, you should really lean heavily towards buying term and putting your money into those sorts of things first. Now where it gets a, it gets more complicated when you're, when you've maxed all those out and you have kind of all your ducks in a row and you have plenty of wealth. And like I said, still not straightforward, but it does make it a little bit more like you need to understand the numbers and kind of your preferences. And we'll talk, we'll circle back to that in a minute. So the second thing, big thing I wanted to point out is that the people that sell this will often push it very hard. And I've already mentioned some of the conflicts in this episode, in the prior episode of interest that exists, but, um, basically there's a ton of commission commissions you get paid on this. So it's, there's a lot of incentive to push it and there's a lot of incentive to push certain types of it. And it directly translates to worse for you. Like the more that's paid to the agent, the worse it is for you in general. Like if you can, so within different types of permanent life insurance, like you can see, you can, you could find like five different variations of it, each paying different commission percentages and that will typically translate to a direct correlation to how much cash value you build up. So anytime you have this sort of high commission set up on something, it's really going to drive behaviors. Even if people are like perfect, you know, are honest, you know, very good people, they're human too. Like at the end of the day, like humans, just incentives will affect you. And so agents, uh, 
know people have this negative connotation too. Like they, they're not like ignorant about it. Like, so things like whole life has a negative connotation to some people. So they're going to come up with creative names, like bank on yourself. That's kind of a common, that's more of like a idea, I guess, but variable universal life, CERT plans, VUL, variable universal life. That's the abbreviation. Whole life is not used very often because of the negative connotation, but there's a million different things you can call it. Like, so it gets confusing there, but you'll see some variations and they'll say that it's different because it's just, but at the end of the day, it's the kind of the core of it is it's either permanent or it's term. And if it's permanent, it's, and an agent is involved with it or someone is selling it to you, it's going to have a high commission on it, much higher than buying term. So I think it's pretty obvious though, in, in these situations where like with, you're not maxing out stuff, you have credit card debt, you need to fund your e-fund. Those sorts of things I think are straightforward, like pretty obvious to buy term and invest the difference, but it gets a little bit, um, it gets a little bit more complicated. Like I said, when you get outside of that scenario. So I think this, this will depend on, you know, what you need the funds for and what they're going to be used for. Ultimately, what it typically comes down to is so permanent life insurance has some built-in tax benefits. So what it typically comes down to is are those long-term tax savings going to outweigh the high insurance costs or commission costs? The second big thing is, do you have the time? Like, is it going to be in place long enough for it to do its thing? So are those tax benefits going to outweigh those insurance costs? And can, is the time horizon long enough, like for very high certainty to let it do its thing? The other little, the other side note I would make is there are special circumstances where it can make sense, like in a business when you need to buy out an owner and there's no ability to finance it otherwise, or in family planning, like with a farm that's illiquid with very illiquid assets. Sometimes you, it's, it's uh, a good strategy to consider having this sort of a vehicle as a liquidity providing tool at a death. But uh, I think it's a much smaller pool of the population that should even consider this sort of vehicle. And what happens is when we talk through it with people is the time horizon thing gets a lot of people because we work in our planning firm with a lot of younger folks. And I'm sure a lot of you guys are younger as well. And when you're younger and you're building up wealth, you're like, well, I don't, you know, I might need it or I don't know if I'm going to have the time. And so when you don't have the time horizon there necessary to let it do its thing, that's a disqualifier, even if you've kind of maxed out everything else. But even then, maybe you run the numbers and we look at those and we're like, well, it's actually still kind of a toss up between investing and buying term and buying permanent. So like, why would I go through the long time horizon thing and kind of lock up my money or, you know, go through this big, you know, expected hit on the front end? And why would I go through that when I could just invest and it doesn't have that? And it's not that different. So it's, and there's very few people that have these special circumstances where it's like, I have a business that I need to use this as a vehicle to transition equity or family planning where I have the farm. So there are also, there are also some estate situations where like estate taxation, you know, this can be a vehicle used in that sort of situation, but it's extremely rare. I would, you know, 95% minimum should be leaning heavily towards buying term and doing something else with the money and the rest, the 5% should really 
run the numbers and understand it first before they even consider doing it. So a couple, couple questions, the, that's kind of the high points of the, of how permanent life insurance works and who it might be beneficial for, or what kind of the hurdles are to starting to entertain the idea of considering it. But what if you already own it and you've maybe owned it for a short period of time, if it's a, the shorter, the time period you've owned it, the better it, the better it might be if you know, you need to get rid of it. So let's say you bought it and you shouldn't have bought it. So let's say you have credit card debt with a super high interest rate and you bought permanent life insurance. Like that's probably not the best use of your dollar. And it just, somebody sold it to you and you know, it was not the right thing to do. And you've fortunately you realized it and you're there. So you're like, what do I do with this? Well, um, hopefully it's early on in it and the earlier the better because you can kind of nip some of those front end costs and call it quits on it and kind of cut your losses fast and so you definitely want to understand what the what that looks like but the earlier the better like if it's like three months into it it's going to be not near as big of a deal it's going to be an easier decision but what if you've owned it for a while so like the scenario where you've owned it for like 10 years, that's a much harder scenario to look at because you've kind of already gotten past all the front end costs. And so that's going to be really more of like a, let's look at the numbers and your situation. And it's not always a like, let's can it and just toss it out. You can, there's a few different options. Maybe it is best for your situation. I would have to guess that it's unlikely just because there's so few people that really benefit from it. If I'm talking to the averages, even the average physician but maybe there's a chance you could, you should continue funding it and it's the best vehicle for your situation. That'd be one option, but more likely it's probably not the best setup. And so in that situation, maybe you just stop paying it and you can turn it into like what's called paid up. That means you, you know, basically, uh, no longer fund it forever. And it just, sits there with the cash value as is, and it grows based on the growth rate and you don't fund it anymore, but it just kind of does its thing as if it's kind of like fully, you know, it's funding is now done. They restructure it and it just does its thing as if there's no more funds going into it. It's basically a good way to kind of, uh, you know, leave it as is it'd be like, you know, stopping funding of a 401k plan. It's going to stop growing by a much larger it's going to not grow nearly as fast, but it will still grow based on the balance of what's already in there. It can work well if you need, if the cash value that's already in there is beneficial, but that you don't want to continue funding it. That's kind of this ideal scenario for that setup. Or maybe you cash the thing out. That's kind of, that's another alternative. Even if it's been a longer time period and you run the numbers and you're like, well, there's, I got three or four alternatives that are clearly better than this. Let's cash it out and put those, put redivert the funds to those places. But when it gets, the longer you've held it, basically the longer you've held it, the more likely it would be to probably hang on to it in some capacity. And the more likely you should be cautious with getting rid of it. The another scenario we see sometimes is maybe your employers providing it for you. Now, if they're funding a hundred percent of it, like that's you know, you might as well take it. So that's, you're not paying for it. They're paying for it. You might as well take it. It's all good. Um, 
now if you're going to have to pay for it, it depends. Like it depends on, I mean, if you're having to pay for all of it, then it's just the same thing as analyzing it as a individual or a personal decision. Another times people maybe bring up, well, what if I want to have the forced savings? So a lot of insurance agents or advisors selling this will say, you know, this is a good vehicle to force savings. And so that that's a good point. I mean, it is a good vehicle to force savings because you aren't going to not pay the premiums on your life insurance. But I think there's alternatives that are there that can be, you know, equal to that. Like maybe not quite as good, but like 401k plans through work. That's, you can kind of make that autopilot. You can force yourself to save. But if you truly do need that and that is effective for you, I mean, that could be a good case. But I would say, I don't, I think that's something to work on. That's like a separate issue. I think you should work on, but at the end of the day, if that is a need, that can be a handy little side note of being able to, or of using permanent life insurance. But I don't think people, as many people truly need that as one might say. So I think at the end of the day though, the key is understanding it. It's a super complicated vehicle. And when it's complex, it's typically gonna favor the person selling it and So in summary, I would say it's important to understand those conflicts and especially with the person that's proposing the idea and understand those conflicts and understand kind of where their incentives lie and really think about, you know, why it makes sense, run the numbers, understand the product. You need to be able to explain it yourself and understand the basics yourself. It's something I would get a second opinion on, especially if we're talking big dollar amounts, like get, have an advisor that doesn't sell it, look at it. You can reach out to our firm, like we'll do like a no cost consult, like especially if you're about to get sold a big, huge permanent life insurance policy, just that's a good opportunity to like get a second opinion and see what they say. And they'll at least give you some uh, considerations to think about before you pull the trigger on it, because it's a big decision for it to work well. You need to be committed for the long haul. It needs to be a long-term decision. It can work well in certain situations, but it needs to be for a very long period of time. And it is fairly rare that they're all the factors are in place where it's going to work well. So that is the high level on permanent life insurance. Hope it's been helpful. We can dig in. I don't want to dig in too deep because this starts to get intense here with permanent life insurance. There's all kinds of different variations and details and that sort of thing. But let me know though, if you want to hit in, get into any of that, happy to cover it in future episodes. Hope it's been helpful and look forward to talking to you next time. For more information about alternative investments and asset management, visit EckerdEnterprises.com. And remember, Eckerd Enterprises is your gateway to tangible assets and lasting financial success. Visit Eckerd today. Please know that anything I've said today in this podcast should not be considered advice. It is completely for educational and entertainment purposes only. It would be best to view me as just another guy talking about money on the internet. For advice, please consult your advisors. If you don't happen to have a financial advisor already, I happen to know a firm that's absolutely fantastic. It's actually the firm I started and currently run now, Ren Financial Planning. And we would love to get to know you better and see if we might be able to help. Feel free to reach out anytime to schedule an introductory meeting. You can find more info about us at www.renfinancial.com.